0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Man, Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Oh, welcome to Grace College. Howdy. Howdy. Oh, it is going to be such a good morning. The weather is perfect outside. So glad you came in the drizzly. Uh, welcome to Winter in Texas, people, if you haven't been here before. This is Winter in Texas. Hey, if you have your Bible, we're going to be covering a ton of verses. So are you ready to be flipping? Let's try this one more time. Are you ready to flip through your Bible? Yeah. Are you ready to have some fun this morning? Yeah. We're studying the life of David, and I'll tell you what, I absolutely love the life of David because he, he is like us in so many ways. I, he, he didn't live in perfect surroundings his whole life. He didn't live in perfect places his whole life. He, he encountered great success and great trials, and he walked with God through a variety of life circumstances, and we get to watch him deal with a major low in his life today and watch him navigate through it. And so there's, there's gonna be some big chunks that we work through. We got some verses on the screen, some in your Bible, so I'd love for you to flip to kind of two places. One of them is going to be Psalm 147. The other one is going to be First Samuel chapter 18. So two big places, Psalm 147, 1 Samuel chapter 18. And if you don't know how to navigate in your Bible, get an app because then you just click it and it's so easy to flip back and forth so you get an app on your phone. It's always good. So I'm going to read you some, something from neither of those two places and, uh, and then we'll jump in. All right. First Samuel chapter 22, two verses for us. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much for the life of David, a man who was, uh, who was not perfect, but by your grace, he became a man after your heart. And Lord, I pray that we might be men and women who desire to become people after your heart, to, to know you, to, to walk with you. And, and the, the challenge with that is that life doesn't always go up when we walk with you. There are there are very real challenges that we face in our day-to-day lives. So Lord, I pray that we might learn from David and how to navigate those circumstances. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, this past summer, um, I was my—I uh, was at work and, and we were planning stuff for this semester. And it was an exciting time as we we're thinking about new ideas and new events that we were gonna do. And it was, it was such a good day. And, and there were so many like, things going well. I mean, it was one of those days where you're like, check this box, check this box. Great idea there, I'm killing it, right? It was just felt great. So many good things happening. And then I get a call from my wife. And she says, I'm stranded in the HEB parking lot in Tower Point, Um, I've got a flat tire, four kids in the car. And I'm like, great. And so I hop into my car and I drive over to HEB in the Tower Point parking lot. And at that point in the day, it was probably like, I don't know, four o'clock, five o'clock. And everyone in the Tower Point parking lot needed to get their groceries immediately, right? And so they're zipping around the parking lot and I see my kids and my wife is parked right by a little grass median and the front right tire is completely flat. And all these cars are swirling around and I've got four kids and I'm going how am i going to navigate this and so i start to get my kids out and i tell them to stand on the median don't run into the street don't run anywhere just stay right here children right i got a 7 year old daughter to a 2 year old daughter and so they're not they're every you know they're everywhere and so i'm like just stay there and and i get up the equipment to change the tire and i start jacking up the tire and immediately they want to help. I'm like, no, children, stay back, right? And so I, it, but it's a bad jack, and so I'm jacking it up, and I go to take the tire off. It's fine, and I go to put the donut tire on, and the car slips off the jack, falls down, and I'm like, perfect. So I jack the tire back up. It's okay. I mean, jack it back up. I put it back on get all the bolts on. It's good. And then I load the children back into the car. And, and by that time, my wife had called um, one of the tire shops there in town and said, um, can we come and, and get a tire change? And like we are we're so busy. Come back another year and, uh, and we can help you out. And I am like, great. So I can't even get the tire fixed. So I go, just go home. I'll deal with it later. I get back into my car. I'm driving up Texas to go back to the church. And I'm driving up Texas. As I cross 2018 in Texas, I hear this and then subsequently I hear, bloop, 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 bloop. I'm like, perfect, two flat tires, 30 minute time span. This is a great Thursday. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that moment when, when you're riding high, like things are going well, the wind feels like it's at your sails, like things are going well in life and then suddenly one bad thing after another hits your life and you go, God, what are you doing? And and if you're a Christian, you read verses like this in in James. It says, blessed are you when you face various kinds of trials. Blessed are you. When you face various, that word various means multicolored, a variety, all sorts of hues and shades of aggravation and frustration. Blessed are you because God's doing something in you. And if you're like me, you're going, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't want this. I don't like this. And I'll tell you what, that's the moment we find David. See, when we left our hero last week, he had one of the most significant moments of his life. He had highs and lows. And we're gonna look at his highs at number, at number one. He was, had one of the most significant moments in his life in the Valley of Elah, which is right here, if you can't see on the map. This was a significant moment. I've got some images of the Valley of Elah. We're gonna travel there this morning. This is one of the beautiful pictures. You see the two mounts on the side, this lush valley in the middle. Another picture like this, a beautiful lush valley. And it was at this moment that David's name got on the map, right? He defeated Goliath, the great enemy. Everyone's excited about what David is doing and the life that he's living. And everyone in this season loves David. In 1 Samuel 18, verses one through three, it says this. As soon as they had finished speaking to Saul, that's Saul, after he had killed David or killed Goliath and, 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 and had this great victory, he comes back and he talks, talks to Saul, and after he finishes that discussion with Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day. It would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. He gets a new best friend. He gets the king's son, as his best friend, and they're gonna have an amazing friendship that's gonna last all through their lives, and it's an amazing friendship. He gets a best friend, but not only does the son of the king love him, the people love him. First Samuel 18, verse five says this, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Saul sent him on all sorts of battles and skirmishes so that Saul sent him out over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And they were coming home, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines. You know, it's getting crazy. They've got tambourines and songs of joy and lyre, and they've got a new hit jam about the life of David. You know you've made it when they start writing songs about your exploits, right? When you have a great play, you're going to take an exam, and you're going to kill it, and they're going to be like, songs about me, right? So when your exploits are, are nationwide, you know it's a big deal, and they start singing. The women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck his thousands, David his tens of thousands. So the new song that everyone's bumping in the club to is, come on, David, slay just thousands. You know, like they're just shaking it, going, this is it. This is our hero. He's leading our people in a new direction. It is amazing. The wind is at David's sail. So, not only does he get a friend, the people love him. Number three, he gets the girl. We see it. First Samuel 18, verse 20. Jump over there. So, now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and it pleased him. He's got a friend, he's got the people at his back, he gets the girl right? Everything is great behind the life of David. Robert Alter, one commentator, writes this, David is the object of the word to love. Everybody loves David. If this is college, this is 4.0. If this is your senior year, this is job in the future, right? If this is any significant moment in your life, it's, it's that moment when the wind is at your sails, when everything seems just right. That's David. But here's the truth. Life never always stays the same. Life doesn't always stay the same. Through this high, we also hit a significant low. So David goes from this area to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, he's going and attacking armies and having great success every direction he's going. But then something else happens. As David hears... Or as Saul hears this in 1 Samuel 18, verse 8 through 11, Saul hears the song and hates the song. Verse 8, and Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And they said, they've ascribed David tens of thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Literally, he had a jealous eye watching David. I'm going to look at him. Everyone loves him. And then suddenly it gets a lot worse. His jealousy exceeds. In verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. He's just playing some music, hanging out. And as he did day by day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, verse 11, and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. See, suddenly Saul gets this jealous rage in his eyes. He says, David's getting too big. I'm going to take him down. And so he tries a couple of different ploys to, to stop David in his tracks. He first tries to just pin him to the wall in private twice. And David goes, okay, Saul's having a bad day. This didn't go well. Maybe he didn't like the song. Fine, I'll pick a new song and and go in a different direction. But but that doesn't stop there. In chapter nineteen, you see that killing David becomes state policy. Verses one through two, Saul says to Jonathan, um, "You're going to kill David." And John's like, "What? David's been been a supporter. Like like he's he's one of the the innermost circle. Like we love him. Your your daughter loves him. My sister loves him. Like what what are you saying?" And and he stems the tide a little bit, but then. Saul tries to kill him again in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 19. And then in chapter 19, verse 11, he brings an army to try to kill David in his own house. And in this moment, this sends David on the run. The first place he runs is to his best friend, Jonathan. He's like, Jonathan, what, what's going on? Like, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm doing everything your father's asked. I'm, everything that he's asked me to do, I'm, I'm doing. And, and John's like, I'll, I'll go talk with him. But he sees that, no, his dad's in a jealous rage and he's, he wants to kill him. And the next he runs to Michael, his wife. In First Samuel chapter 19, verses 13 through 17, he, he tells her like, your, your dad's trying to kill me. I mean, your, your dad's on a jealous rampage and he's going to kill me. So, so he runs to her and she's like, you gotta hide me. And so she hides him in bed and, and covers him and, and the people come to, to get David while he's in his own house and, and she says, he's, he's sleeping. They're like, go find him. He escapes. They come in, they find that he's not there, that he's already gone and then Saul comes to his daughter and says, what have you done? And then David is betrayed by his own wife. She says, she says this, He threatened me. He said he was going to kill me if I didn't protect him. So he's betrayed by his own wife. And then he runs to Rama. It's the top one, top right. He runs to his mentor. He runs to Samuel. He says, Samuel, you, you've got to help. Saul's in a jealous rage, and so they run to Ramah because there's a lot of condominiums in a, a tightly packed area. You can see excavations of it where there's actually condominiums, and you can kind of get lost in there. And so he stays there for a little while, but Saul hears and chases him again. And at this moment, he runs to the only place left. He runs to Gath. Now, Goliath was a Philistine from Gath. David literally runs to enemy-occupied territory. He says, the last place that's safe is in the land of the enemy. And so he runs literally to enemy-occupied territory. And you can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 21, they recognize him. They're like, hey, aren't you David? Like, aren't you David who they sing songs about? Like, David's does. Dallas. Like, we, we all love the jam. Like, we know who you are. And it says in that moment, he feigned insanity. It says that he started drooling down his beard, started scratching on the wall, ah, ah, playing like he was insane to disguise himself. And the king of Gath, this is some of the ruins in the area of, of what they think is one of the, the kingdoms of Gath. The king says, do I not have enough crazy people here? And he sends him out. And at that moment, he runs to a delim, to a cave. And as he's sitting there alone, In the cave of Adullam. Right there. That's where you meet him in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, The people that come to him are not a, a great crowd. Everyone who is in distress, everyone who is dispirited, everyone who had a reason to be frustrated, all come to him in this moment. Have you ever been there? When the wind was at your sails, but then the bottom dropped out. When it felt like everything was great, and then for no fault of your own, it felt like every single thing in your life was against you. He lost his job. He lost his house. He lost his wife. He will leave his best friend, and he'll only see him interspurted a couple times in his life, and this is the last time he'll ever see his mentor. And in this moment, he's alone in a cave saying, God, where are you? Have you been there? When it felt like everything you had was taken away. What do you do in that moment? What does David do? What do we do? I love what David did. And I love really the Psalms and the story because it gives us two lenses in which to see the life of David. You see, in the story, we get to see the events of what happened. But the Psalms are like David's journal. It's like him writing down his deep emotions of how he worked himself through this scenario, how he clung to God in the midst of one of these major trying times in life. And I'll tell you what, there are so many things we can learn from the life of David by what he was thinking and what he is doing. And so I want to pull out a couple things from Psalm 142, Psalm 57, and then back in 1 Samuel chapter 22 to show us how David dealt with this moment when he was on the run. So in Psalm 142, the first thing we see David did is this, is that he got honest. Psalm 142 says this, it's a mesquil of David was when he was in the cave of Adullam. He says this, "'With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. "'With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord.'" I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have laid a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. Do you hear his anguish? In the midst of the cave, he's saying, God, let me pour out my complaint to you. I feel abandoned. I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you don't even care about the circumstances I'm walking in. Verse five, it says, I cry out to you, O Lord. You are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. Attend my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too many. They're too strong for me. And I love this in verse seven. Bring me out of prison, that I might give thanks to your name. He literally feels like he's in prison. He feels like he's being punished by God for nothing he's done wrong. You know what I love about this Psalm? It's raw emotion. It's David getting honest with God. The first step you need to take when you feel abandoned by God, when you feel like your legs have been taken from the, out from underneath you is this, that you get honest. That you say, God, this is what I'm really feeling in this moment. I remember the first time I did this was actually um, in college. It was in between my freshman year of college and my sophomore year of college, and I had gone on a mission trip, and I'd found out that a guy that i had really respected had died in a plane crash. And, and I, my, my, my now wife, her dad, told me it was pretty much day two of the trip, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stick that on the back burner, and I'll think about it. But then obviously when someone passes away, it's hard to just shove it behind you. And so each morning I'd go out on a run. And it was in those runs and those mornings when I started crying out to God that I found him to be nearer than any other time. It was actually the first time in my life that I actually said, okay, God, if you're real, why did this happen? If you're here, why is this happening to me? God, if you're really present and powerful in the world, God, why? And I'll tell you what, one of the most Christian things you can do when you're in the pits and the caves of your life is to first get honest with God. But immediately I say that, and there's there's a resistance. I think for many of us that have grown up in, in the Christian bubble, Christian homes, well what we tend to say is this well, God has a plan. And I agree, God has a plan, but you don't need to start there. You can be honest with God with your real, raw emotions. Kevin, I don't know, because if God really knew what I felt, maybe he wouldn't like me anymore. Maybe he can't take my frustration. Maybe he can't take the angst within my heart. Well, let's just take a page from Jesus, right? One moment from Jesus. Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to go to the cross. You know what he prays? It says that he's praying and and drops of, of blood, like sweat, are pouring out of his head because of the stress and the strain of this moment. And he says, God, if there's any other way, let's do it. He healed Lazarus, right? But right before he healed Lazarus, he goes and he sees the sisters weeping and crying over the death of their brother Lazarus. And it says that Jesus at that moment, the shortest verse in Scripture, Jesus wept. He showed real emotion. He pleaded with God. And on the cross, what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting a psalm but he's also quoting his real experience. This, this feels like abandonment as he takes the sin of the world onto himself. It feels like God has, has put him and separated himself from the son. And at that moment, he says, God, I didn't know it'd be like this. I'm experiencing the full weight of sin on the world, on me in a single moment, and I'm pleading out, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Had he? No. But he pleads out, Lord, I'm being honest with you. See, God doesn't want you to be stone faced in your circumstances. God doesn't want you to just stuff your emotions and be like, I can take it. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I can take it. No. He wants you to be, one key word healthy. And to be healthy means that you be honest. And some of you have other resistances because you're like, okay, okay, okay. I know some people that get honest and they're honest with everyone. And so you ask them, how are you doing today? And they're like, well, life's terrible. And then they just vomit all over you, like all of their pain and problem. You're like, I'm not gonna be that person. Like, I'm not gonna be that. And I would say this, you don't have to be honest with everyone. Not everybody, everybody doesn't need to know everything about you. But there's somebody that needs to know everything. You need some trusted, close friends. And I'll tell you what, you need some time with the Lord. And for me, it's journaling. I read the Bible and I write out my real emotions. And I put the words that I'm writing against the truths of Scripture. And I say, I'm going to be real and honest with you. But what I love about David is that he starts by getting honest, but he doesn't stay in just this time of perpetual, I'm a victim. I'm terrible. He doesn't, he's not curled up in a ball in the cave. Like (laughs) he's not, he's not a cry cry for the rest of his life. He gets honest, but there's a second step. He gets perspective. And you see it in the second Psalm that I want you to look at. It's Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, not only does he, he get honest with God in Psalm 142, but secondly, he gets perspective. He lets God speak into his life. He lets God speak into his circumstance. And he says this in Psalm 57, it says this to the choir master, according to the, it's a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. In verse one, it says this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass. I cry out to God most high, who fulfills, this is key, who fulfills his purpose for me. The first thing that David sees in this moment is that I know that God has a purpose for me. I know that God hasn't abandoned me. It may feel like I'm being abandoned, but I know that God has a purpose in my life. He anointed me with oil. He's got all sorts of plans for me. And I'll tell you what, God has a purpose for you. I don't know why you may be walking through the struggle that you're facing, but I promise this, God has a purpose in verses nine and 10, he says this, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. You know what David does? You know what he allows to come into his mind? Not merely his emotions and his frustrations, but those are good and it's real. But he counters that with the right perspective. I wanna put my faith in the God who is who is above all circumstances who has purpose in the pain who knows my life and can lead me through it who is faithfulness i want to know god's love do you know god's love do you know how much god loves you if you ever doubt that all you need to do is look at the cross of christ he gave his best for you he gave his son to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west so that you could be in relationship with God. He loves you and he cares for you. That's why he sent his best for you. He says, I know God's love. I know he has purpose in my life and I can use these truths to fight the challenges I face. R.C. Sproul writes of 2 Corinthians and in one verse of 2 Corinthians, it says this. We are afflicted, perplexed, Persecuted, struck down. And R.C. Sproul writes this these are powerful images that describe the conflict that Christians must endure. But in every place he describes this phenomenon, he describes at the same time its limits. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So we have this pressure to bear. We have a pressure. But inside of us is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can withstand the pressure with Christ in you. Martin Lloyd Jones, the great preacher, says this: The problem with the whole matter of spiritual depression is this: We allow ourselves to talk to ourselves instead of we. I'm sorry. Let me read this again. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized? that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come into your mind at the moment that you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring you back to the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. But you need to take those thoughts captive. And he says this, Therefore, go, remind yourself of God, of who God is, of what God has done and what he is like. And having done that, this is so good, I love this. Having done that, end with a great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world and say with man, I shall yet praise him for his countenance is is health and conscience of my soul. He says, I'm going to take every thought captive and I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to say, I don't have to believe that. One of the greatest t-shirts you can buy on t-shirt website is don't believe everything you think. This is so good. Your emotions may be real, but you don't have to live there. You may be burdened, but you don't have to stay there. You may be frustrated, but you don't have to let that continued thought wade around in your mind. You can combat it with the truth of Scripture, and that's what David does. He gets honest, then he gets perspective. And number three, he gets moving. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says he, he departed from Gath, and he's in the cave of Adullam. His family comes to him, and then so, so is a, uh, the worst team you could ever recruit, Right? Verse two, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny like when you're in a low spot, it just seems that more low people come with you? <laughs> you ever been miserable and then just all the miserable people just like come out of the woodwork? Like they're like, man, I just feel so depressed and everyone else comes around to you. Yeah, we're all depressed. The world's going down, all of us. All of us are going down like in 10 minutes, yeah. And you just kind of to wallow in that that's David. And David, like, in this low moment says, okay, God, are, are, have you abandoned me? Is there anyone that you're going to send me? And then he sends them, like, a, a crew of clowns, right? Like, one of the worst crews. And David, in that moment, sa- he says this. He became captain over them. Another, word for, another phrase for that is prince. He became their leader. And he says, okay, I, I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to get perspective. But I'm not going to stay here and wallow. I'm gonna get moving. And look what he does in 1 Samuel chapter 23. This is great. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse one, it says this. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the the threshing floors. That means they're, they're pillaging all of the grain that the people have harvested. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So who is the crew that David has? The distressed, the dispirited, the frustrated folks. And they're like, you want us to go do what now? Behold, we're terrified. And so David asked the God one more time. Then he inquired of the Lord and said, arise, go down to Keilah. I've given the Philistines in your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought their livestock and struck them with a great blow. And David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. You know what David did when he was in his lowest spot? He saw what was around him and it was a bunch of losers. He says, all right, I'm going to take these losers and I'm going to make them into something better. You ever been part of a losing team? I was in college I ran track in college. And when I first got there, I didn't know I was joining a losing team, but I was. I find out soon after I get there that it's typical for these guys, the night before the big race, to go out and party and like throw beer bottles into the street and like get in skirmishes and, uh, and then go run the race. And I was like, huh, that doesn't sound like a positive environment at all. And I get there, and several of those guys had graduated, but that reputation had continued with this group. And then we get a new coach, second semester. Jason Vigilante, and he was a young guy. He was like 26, 27 years old, and he looks at us, and he pulled us each one into his office, did like an interview. Like, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to do in your time in college? And we kind of gave our goals. I remember it's was probably week three of his coaching of us. He lines us up, and we're all like in little shorts and shirts off. He says, you're all fat. Now, I had never been called fat in my life and as a distance runner, like I, and I was like, like what, are you, what are you even what are you talking about? And he starts training us, and it was hard. It's like, <laughs> I've never run this hard before. You know, Just like cry, cry, you know. and he's like, this is what you gotta do. I remember we get to the first big race that I was gonna run in my freshman year, pin relays. I run the steeplechase, run the long distance race. It's a long distance race over hurdles in a water pit. And I'm running a pin relays, and he tells me, all right, Kevin, I need you to go into last place and stay there until I tell you to go. So the biggest race I've ever run in my life, right, go into last place. So if the gun blows, they take off, I trot my way into the back of the pack. Now my head coach, Bubba Thornton, okay, Texas coach, Bubba, right? So he is standing at one point in the track with arms crossed going, why did I bring this freshman here? You know, just like what is going on? And I'm like, I'm going to listen to my coach. And I'm in last place, go through. I get through three laps, and my head coach is, just, he, by the lap three, he can't even look at me. He's just, like, looking the other direction, just like, I can, I'm not even here. Why am I wearing orange? Why is he wearing, you know, like, what? Well, I don't even know where we're doing here. And, and, and he, and I come by him one more time. He goes, and I start picking off one guy at a time. I'm like, I feel all right. They feel terrible. Oh, my gosh. My coach isn't an idiot. And I go. <laughs> And by the end of the race, like I was nervous about doing this little game plan by the end of the race, I'm passing guys. I run a great time. And my head coach is going, all right, Kevin, this guy, I'm like, he's like, this is great. I'm going, he wasn't an idiot. Like he knew what he was doing. Two years later, um, I'm I'm trying to qualify for the national championship race and I get, uh, it's the race is going to be in Palo Alto, California. You got to run a certain time to go the national championship race and I'm there, and my coach is trying to get me into the fast heat of the steeplechase. We flew there, I'm not in the race. I'm like, coach, what are you, what are you thinking? And so he's asking the, the head coach of, of Stanford at the time, and it was a guy named Vin Lanana, he's the AD of, uh, of Oregon today, OU, or Oregon, what are ducks, quack, quack. Um, so, so we were standing there, there's about five minutes for the race to start, and my coach is on the phone, the cell phone, with my coach back home. And he goes, my coach back home goes, put Vin on the line like they're buddies. Hands him the phone over there. Vin's standing there like running the meat. And he picks up the phone. He goes, uh-huh. looks over me. Uh-huh. 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 And I'm like standing there on the side of the fence going like, what am I doing here? This is absurd. And Vin looks over at me. You're in the race. Like, what? And then my coach says to me, all right, you run right behind this guy the whole way. And my coach, although I would never have played it this way, right, <laughs> I trust him because I know where he's leading me. And I run behind that guy. I run the best time I'd ever run. I qualify for the championships. And right as I cross the finish line, I'm like, I look at the time, I'm like, yeah. And I just puke at a grate, you know, just,
1: Bruh.
0: And I look at that, I'm like, that's it. That's what this life is about. That your captain over you knows how to train you and knows how to challenge you and is leading you in a good direction. So you don't just sit there and wallow. You let him become captain over you and lead you. And will it be easy? No, it will not be easy. But Jesus Christ is your captain. He loves you. He knows the trials that you faced and he knows how to train you out of them. If you get honest, you get perspective and you get moving and he'll lead you where he needs you to be. You can get honest. So do you have close friends that you can be honest with? You get perspective. Do you spend time reading the word of God, letting that wash over you and do you get moving? you say, I'm not just going to sit here and just focus on all the problems of me. I'm going to look up and see where God's leading and join him and trust him and line up my life behind him because he loves you and he's leading you. Pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this story in the life of David. And Lord, it's so practical. There's so many times in life where we feel like, God, I don't know why you're leading my life this way. I don't know why it feels like the bottom has dropped out, but, but Lord, you do. And you may not answer all the whys in the moment, but you answer all the whys eventually. So I pray that we might trust you, to trust you enough to be honest with where we really are in life, that we would let you give us perspective, that you are the God who is in control and you are the God who loves and that we would trust you and that we wouldn't wallow in the caves of our lives but we would get moving we would let you be our captain that we would let you train us and challenge us to do things better than we could ever imagine because you're the great captain over our lives we love you i lift up these students to you that they would trust you and move forward out of the fogs of whatever spiritual depression we might be facing it's so in your holy name we pray. Amen. So you turn to your table and have some great discussion.
1: Well, howdy, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. Hey, and I'm Jacob Smith, and uh, we are here to basically just look back on the passages that we preach through our sermons and look ahead at what's coming up in our ministry. Uh, and we are really excited. We're a few weeks into this new semester and we've been talking through the life of David and he's still, he's still there. He's still trucking. He still, is <laughs> young man slaying giants, giants. or uh, where I'm at, he is running for his life. Yeah, so. basically the same thing. He's <laughs> There's always adversity basically in David's life. For real. Uh, which is good. You need that conflict. That's what makes it a good story. Uh but yeah, we've been um looking at right, we're we're slightly off from each other in the timeline, but it's kinda cool. We were just talking about how uh even this past week or uh we were in different passages, but man, a lot of the takeaway was the same thing. It was mm. this idea that David had this heart that knew when to be still, essentially, even when life was hectic and crazy, hmm. when he was looking at an enemy or he was running for his life, his heart was still in the sense that he knew to just pause and remember what's true and to reflect on what God had revealed to him, yeah. what he could trust in. And so, um, yeah, so we were talking about just kind of application point that neither of us managed to get to yesterday. <laughs> we can now uh, is, yeah, we we're talking about scripture memory. Yeah. So. Um, man it's it's a it's a big piece and thankfully in our modern age there's just a lot of opportunity to memorize scripture in new ways yeah. and so one of the things that uh, I've been talking a lot about with uh, students and staff is a thing called scripture typer That's right which is an app uh, it's also a website but ScriptureTyper.com, uh, scripture typer on the App Store it's just it's really just kind of a, a, a kind of fun Easy way to just immerse yourself in scripture and learn it uh, pretty on a pretty quick uh, pace, and Mm so um, it uses kind of these different learning mechanisms. Um, They just, you know, sort of the way our brains work. It's just it's designed to where you uh You put together the verse the passage kind of over about a week, and you you get it down it will remind you on your phone or in your calendar or things like that, but anyway, That's we just great. that was a really cool thing to kind of do just to lock away that scripture. God tells us hey if you 're faithful to to write these words in your heart to to bind these things to your mind um the the word of god 's powerful and yeah. it'll it's it 's so helpful in those times of stress or trial. Um when you don't know what to think, you don't know what to say, suddenly the word of God can be brought to your mind. And it's yeah. just it's incredibly helpful in so many ways. So yeah. and it's scripture so, typer.
0: And it's so true in life. I mean it's a great reference or a great um a great option, Jacob. And, and the other thing is like words are powerful. You know, I mean if, mm. if someone says Three nice things and one bad thing. Like that bad thing tends to stick <laughs> in your mind, um, and and honestly, like the the word of God can stick into your mind and help combat you when when your thoughts aren't always in the right place and and you're believing lies. And so so good to to fill your mind with the word of God. So strong encouragement to there. Psalms are a great place for that. Uh, mm-hmm. You can look at the psalms that correlate with the life of David, even mm-hmm. if you're tracking with us through the series. And some of those would be really helpful for you to do. So check out that resource and. Uh, Put the word of God in your mind. So we got two announcements that we want to give you before we close up our time together. Uh, one is this. Uh, if you have a heart for missions, um, if you really want to see the gospel go forth overseas, we strongly encourage you to check out grace-bible.org and look at our missions opportunities. We have a two-year missions partnership where you can go uh, with one of our partner ministries overseas mm. and for two years spend time sharing the gospel, connecting with college students, and really seeing the gospel go forth in some some needy areas. And the second announcement is this, um, our Grace Fellows Program. It's also a two-year program in which we train you how to grow as a ministry leader and so you get to lead leaders, you get to lead Bible studies, you get to help set the strategic direction of our college ministry and really speak into it. And, and shape. we were just talking about one of our fellows today about how he's only been here for two weeks and made an already made an incredible <laughs> yeah. impact. And uh, and we appreciate that. So we we want people that can come to contribute. And yeah. so if you were thinking about ministry, we encourage you to check out our Grace Fellows program at grace-bible.org. Yep. With that, we're signing off. Yep. Have a great week.